The Baby Lambs podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. everyone it's Ashley you doing good you doing well how's how's it how's it going what a crazy crazy times we live in huh man yeah so I'm alone uh, why am I alone good question um, so in order to answer that question for you I'm gonna have to have to tell you like a little like a baby story okay um, as you can see from the title of this episode, this is the Hunt a Killer uh, episode two for season three, or I guess season three, episode two, um, for the series called Curtain Call. Um, Hunt a Killer is a super cool subscription box service designed for puzzly, solvy people who enjoy puzzly, solvy things, especially crimey things. Um, if you've ever listened to any of our prior seasons, um, we've worked on two other series from the Hunt a Killer series, the box sets. Uh, basically, what you get is a bunch of really cool pieces of evidence um, and that all sequentially each season refer to a, to a singular crime, a singular story. So each box sort of is a jumping off point for the box before it. Um, and we really like it. We, we do, we, we hope that you do too, especially during these times where some of us are still, you know, working from home. I know a lot of us have gone back to work in the, in the, in the world outdoors. Um, but some of us are still inside and, uh, this is a great way to spend a little bit of time with your family that isn't like a movie or isn't a video game. Um, kind of gets your brain kind of working, and uh, if you just don't have this, the room for for puzzles, this could be a fun thing for you to do. Um, proceeds from every box uh, from Hunt a Killer, whenever you buy a subscription box, uh, proceeds go to the Cold Case uh, Foundation, and they donate actual monies to help solve cold cases. Uh, it's uh, pretty awesome, like for hiring lawyers and detectives and stuff like that. Um, and you also get 20% off your first box if you use code BABYLAMBS. That's a B-A-B-Y-L-A-M-B-S. Okay, now that we're past that spiel, again, Ashley, why are you alone? I thought you and Lisette were going to work on this box together. Uh, you're, you're right. We, we, we had, we, we have. So, we actually had already recorded this box, okay? This second box. We recorded it together. It was very fun, you know, getting back into the groove and, you know, of course, we're, we're trying to social distance. So it's even more interesting when you're trying to be six feet apart and read clues. Um, now, what what ha- what had happened was that the uh, audio file completely vanished. <laughs> uh, it is somewhere in space. We don't know where it is. And uh, there's no possible way for us to move on with the series without you knowing what happened in the second box. And uh, that doesn't, I, I hear you. Ashley, it doesn't answer the question. Why are you alone? Why am I alone, you say? 
it's because Lisette is a little under the weather. Um, she's uh, she's feeling kind of kind of sicky wicky, and uh, it's better that we aren't in the same room. And for this box, since we've already done it. I, you know, because I love her very much and I love you guys very much, am willing to do the box again to uh, get you guys uh, in the groove so you know what, what what the next box will be. And I promise she will be back for the second box so long as she's feeling better. Um, so do, do I know what happened in this box? Okay, well, um, technically... Yes, technically, I do know what happens in this box. But am I am I a person with a terrible memory? I am this too. Isn't that, see, that's the thing. I have a terrible memory. So it is completely possible that some things I might pick up and be like, I remember reading this or da 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 da, da. Sure, that could certainly happen um, because we recorded this box like last month. Um... But, you know, like, whose brain is even really working right now, right? So I'm trusting that I've forgotten everything already. And uh, and we're just going to try to relive this all over again. Um, if you thought we didn't love you, man, are you, are you wrong? Because we do. We so, we so, so do. All right, so. Let's get started. I'm going to open up this folder. See, the good thing about Hunter Killer is that you always sort of have to keep all of the things that you collect. Um, because if you don't, you'll just be very lost. And who wants that? Um, so I'm going to open up this. I think this is all from the yes this is indeed all from episode two let me make sure that it has everything that we need it looks like it does oh man are things coming back to me kind of because <laughs> Because, because, okay, all right, so, okay, so we have nine items in this box, um, I'm going to pull out those nine items right here, we have, let's see, notes, have a delivery note. We have a police report. Yes, we do. We have the ledger. Oh, we have a letter. A letter from Hector. We got a letter from Hector. We have another letter from you we have the stage whisper article yes we do and we have the handkerchief and the pin all right so i think we have everything that we are supposed to have for this episode um make sure 
because uh, we we try to be as organized as we can, but you know it's always so uh, complicated. All right, so we have a handkerchief. It's beautiful. It's this beautiful embroidered handkerchief. The handkerchief is beautiful. It's it's a white handkerchief with purpley, like grayish. I think they're actually gray, not purple. It might be one of those like, is the dress blue or green or whatever. Um, so it's a it's a handkerchief. It looks like it has gray embroidered flowers on it with some like light green accents, and it has the letters E and V. I believe that's one of our characters. Um, so I'm sure we'll get some more information on this in just a second. But as always, every box always begins with a detailed letter from somebody that you, that you need to talk to. And this one is no different. So I'm going to start off by reading this letter from Ms. Julia Adler, who we are helping to solve this horrific crime of who is this body that we found in this trunk. Well, we did identify who that body was, uh, but, uh, but we have a bit of an update. So the letter begins. Hello again. So I told my friend on the force that you figured out that, that, so I told my friend on the force what you figured out and the lab did find traces of blood in the blank, blank, blank that was in the attic. That was from the last episode. It's pretty incredible that you managed to work that out. I'm sending a cadence pin as a little thank you for all of your hard work so far to show you that I appreciate you despite what I'm about to say. Oh God. As impressive as your progress has been, it doesn't actually bring us any closer to determining the identity of Viola's killer. As far as the police are concerned, they knew when they found the body that this was a murder and that and the fact that Viola's mother owned a similar cane doesn't mean she was necessarily a murderer. So it really could have been anyone. And they still don't feel like and they still don't feel like there are any significant leads, which is frustrating because I was really hoping this would finally get them to take a serious interest in the case again. I need to get this resolved quickly, now more than ever. I received a letter from the board today informing me that they're planning to sell the theater. I'm not even surprised, honestly. The board has always hated how I run things. If it were up to them, I'd be staging the same jukebox musical for the next 10 years. But the truth is, despite my best efforts, the cadence has been struggling for a while. And it's only gotten worse since I found Viola's body. Just when I thought the media frenzy was finally dying down, someone leaked the news about the murder weapon and ticket sales took another nosedive. We've had a bunch of a bunch of uh, had to cancel a bunch of events too because as you can imagine people don't want to host improv night at a crime scene it was bad enough when i thought i might have to let a couple of employees go but we'll all be out of work if the board sells the theater i can't let them do this the board is supposed to lead the cadence through hard times not destroy everything we've worked for generations to preserve now not that i have any idea how to stop them they have the votes to push through this, and I can't afford to buy them out. And I have to find some way to fix this. I owe it to my dad and to my grandparents and to everyone who has ever sat in the glow of those footlights and seen what a special place the cadence is. I know I'm biased, but I can't be the only one. I can't be the one to I can't be the one to let this legacy down. 
For now, I've got to focus on things I can control, like trying to solve Viola's murder. The good news is I've found a lot of stuff to send you. You wouldn't believe the kinds of things my grandparents saved. It looks like Ira hoarded all of the theater's business correspondence, and Evelyn collected copies of scripts and programs and tickets and posters for every single production ever staged here. I guess people were just more meticulous record keepers back in the day. My grandparents inherited all of George Erickson's papers when he bought the Cadence too, and they're just as detailed. Who keeps decades worth of receipts anymore? By the looks of it, George may have been doing some, shall we say, uh, creative bookkeeping? Not that I'm complaining, because it works out great for us. In one of their boxes of junk, I even found a copy of Viola's original missing persons report from 1934. Or part of it, anyway. I still can't believe how slapdash the investigation into Viola's disappearance was at the time. I know the standards for police work were different back then, but if they didn't even suspect that Viola might have been murdered, what else did they miss? Not that the police working on the case now are are exactly filling me with confidence either. You'd think handing them the murder weapon on a silver platter would help them make actual progress on this case, but apparently not. If there's any hope of finding justice for Viola, I'm afraid it's down to you and me. If the police want definitive leads, that's what we'll give them. I've been wondering what Michelle would do next if she were handling this case. And I feel like the best way to move forward is to see if there's a suspect we can definitely rule out. I'm really hoping you'll say one of my grandparents is innocent this time around. Ideally, you'll be able to clear, you'll have, wait, ideally you'll be able to clear both of them before too long because it would be great to know that the theater I'm trying to save wasn't, you know, run by murderers. But at this point, I guess I should be suspicious of anyone unless proven otherwise. Speaking of which, Michelle said I should switch up the login for my case folder regularly to keep things secure, and God knows I don't want the board snooping around. I can't change the login credentials she created for you to access the virtual desktop, so the password is still blank, but the new password for our Cadence folder is blank. When you figure out who's in the clear, email me at Jadler, uh huh, uh huh. Make the subject line clue this time and put the full name of the person you think is innocent in the body of your message. Send me some good news, would ya? I could use it. Signed, Julia Adler, cadencetheater.com. Long letter, right? Oh, goodness. There's going to be so much reading in this episode. <laughs> oh, man. I will say that's something about this particular, um, this particular series is not so much like physical objects heavy like pieces of evidence heavy i mean not yet except we got this handkerchief right um it's really more about like examining old documents and stuff which is cool in and of itself um but it is a lot of reading and i do want to try to read as much if not everything for you guys so that you can follow along with our experience right so some of the items that were also in this box, she mentioned them in the letter, um, are a bunch of like random papers from the from this time period. Um, there's a delivery note uh, that was a delivery on February 20th, 1934 by Mr. Joe Sampson, who I believe was the um, manager, the stage manager at the show or at the theater. And it was for a box, it seems. A sentinel lock box. Um, 
and it was signed. I'm sure this will be very important if I can remember it. It also has a bunch of like stuff on the back, like uh, cluey clues, you know, like a cipher. So that'll be fun. We have a handwritten note that I do vaguely remember reading before and having a hard time because this handwriting is serious. Um, so I'm gonna read something that I can read and that would be, for example, this police report. So it is a pretty detailed report. Um, this, uh, it's written in like old timey typewritery uh, style. You know what I'm talking about. We use it on Instagram all the time. Uh, Precinct 19 report case number 709. Okay, so it's a couple pages long, so please bear with me. This is a memo for the commanding officer. The subject is Victoria Gaina reported missing. So this is the original police report, uh, missing persons report. This was from, uh, this was dated November 7th, 1934, assigned to Detective Shannon. On the morning of November 7, 1934, Mrs. Olga Gaina, Gaina, I'm going to say Gaina, Olga Gaina, Gaina, like a chicken, Gaina, Olga Gaina, 49 of Manhattan, returned to her residence at the Criterion Arms to find that her daughter, Victoria Gaina, 23 of Manhattan, alias Viola Vane, was not at home. After telephoning several acquaintances to see if they had heard from her, at 10.45 a.m., Mrs. Gaina notified the local patrolman, Officer McCulley, that her daughter was missing. Officer McCulley, in turn, alerted this office. Upon arriving at Mrs. Guyana's apartment, Detective Shannon joined Officer McCulley in a search of the premises and found no evidence Miss Guyana had returned the previous night. Her bed had not been slept in, and according to her mother, no personal effects belonging to Miss Guyana were missing from her room. Mrs. Gaeta was evidently distressed. When asked to explain what had occurred, she burst into hysterical tears, repeating, I can't believe this is happening again. Oh, God. When asked to expand on this statement, she explained that her daughter had only recently returned from an extended rest cure, during which the two women did not speak for four months. However, Mrs. Gaina stated that she and her daughter had reconciled in September and that they had been living together since her daughter's return. Despite her adamant insistence that her daughter had met had met with foul play, Mrs. Gaina was consistently not cooperative. She informed Detective Shannon that she last saw her daughter yesterday evening at the Cadence Theater where Ms. Gaina is employed as an actress. Mrs. Gaina stated that she arrived sometime after 5 p.m. and she and her daughter argued, though she would only say that the subject of their disagreement was a, quote, family matter. Mrs. Guyana then left the theater. She declined to discuss her movements that night, stating only that she was, quote, out, and did not return to her home until, quote, shortly after 10 in the morning. She grew belligerent when pressed for details, insisting that, quote, my affairs are nobody's business but mine. At Mrs. Gaina's insistence, Detective Shannon has arranged interviews with Mrs. Gaina, with Ms. Gaina's colleagues at the Cadence Theater for tomorrow afternoon. Detective Shannon had advised Mrs. Gaina to contact this office in the likely event that her daughter returns home. The doorman on duty at the Criterion Arms, Mrs. Louis Almore of Brooklyn, stated he had not seen Ms. Gaina that morning, but confirmed Mrs. Gaina's claim that she returned at 10.10 10 a.m. 
Case active, pending further investigation. Signed, Detective Shannon, 3rd grade, 1008 Bureau of Missing Persons, Manhattan. So this is the second page. This was dated, I guess, the next day, November 8th. Report on interviews conducted by, De- by Detective Shannon at the Cadence Theater, November 8th, 1934, 2.30 p.m. Interviews with all cast members and theater employees present on the afternoon of November 6th were organized with the assistance of George Erickson, proprietor. Mr. George Erickson, 56, of Manhattan, stated that select cast and crew were assembled for preliminary rehearsal of a new stage production entitled You Can Leave It Right Here on the afternoon of November 6. He said that that in the midst of rehearsal, his wife, Mrs. Ruth Erickson, arrived at the theater. I know, Leela, it's crazy. That she arrived at the theater with their baby in tow. She wanted to speak with him, and so... Yes, ma'am? Can I help you? Do you know who the killer is, though? Yes? Okay. If you don't know who the killer is, you can't be in the room. Okay. Thank you. Everybody has an opinion in this house. Sorry about that. Now, where were we? Blah, blah, blah. Was went their baby in tow. <laughs> she wanted to speak with him, and so a short break in... She wanted to speak with him, and so a short break in rehearsal was called. He said he spoke with his wife for 10 or 15 minutes about some trivial matters, and that the rehearsal resumed at 5 p.m. Sometime after they had settled back into the read-through, he claimed Mrs. Guyana burst onto the stage and tried to accost her daughter with her walking stick, adding, I couldn't understand what she was saying, but I didn't have to speak the language to know that whatever it was, it was vile. Mm. The attempted assault was broken up and Mrs. Guyana was escorted from the building, after which Ms. Guyana retired to her dressing room. Mr. Erickson said that following this disruption, quote, everyone was too distressed to continue rehearsing, end quote. So he dismissed the cast for the night. Mr. Erickson stated that, as he recalled, his stage manager, Mr. Joseph Sampson, expressed the intention to go purchase flowers for Ms. Guyana, quote, to cheer her up, I suppose. He said that for his part, he spent some time reviewing the theater's accounts and that later on, as... As, as, there's two as's, as, as he was preparing to close up for the night, he observed Ms. Evelyn Kittredge, an actress in the production, leaving Ms. Guy in his dressing room. He noted that she appeared to be in some distress and left in, quote, quite a hurry. He also remarked that as far as he knew, Mr. Sampson had not returned by the time he left the theater a little after 6.15. He stated he had not seen Ms. Guyana in the days since. Ms. Evelyn Kittredge, 21, of Brooklyn, stated that she was observing rehearsal in her capacity as Ms. Guyana's understudy when Ms. Guyana's mother arrived and began yelling at her daughter. Ms. Kittredge stated she was unsure of the reason for Ms. Guyana's anger, stating that most of what she said was in Romanian. She confirmed that after Mrs. Guyana was removed from the premises by Mr. Sampson, she conferred briefly with her castmates and then went to check on Ms. Guyana no later than 5.30 p.m. 
She brought with her Ms. Guyana's belongings, which had been left on stage in the confusion, including Ms. Guyana's coat and purse, and her mother's walking stick. She stated that Ms. Guyana was terribly overwrought. When she reached the dressing room, she was, quote, weeping and saying desperate things. She claimed she attempted to calm Ms. Guyana down, but that, quote, she wouldn't listen to reason. Ms. Kittredge admit- admitted that she grew incest, incensed, saying, Viola, quote, Viola was acting as if the rest of us don't have problems, too. Ms. Kittredge stated she left after perhaps a quarter of an hour because she had a dinner engagement. She added that a few minutes later, as she was on her way out of the theater, she heard raised voices coming from the direction of Ms. Guyana's dressing room. She could not say definitively whether the voices were male or female. She stated she suspected Mrs. Guyana might have regained entry into the building and did not wish to interrupt for fear of making the tension between mother and daughter even worse. She then caught a taxi to a dinner engagement when, when, where she arrived several minutes after 6 p.m. She expressed some serious concern regarding Ms. Guyana's state of mind, stating she had been worried about her for some time and feared she, quote, might do something foolish okay mr hector roland 36 of manhattan and new canaan new canaan connecticut confirmed that he was indeed previously engaged to be married to miss Guyana, but that quote as anyone who reads the papers should know she ended their relationship earlier this year though he insisted that they have maintained a friendly working relationship he stated that he was present for rehearsal and that he had just resumed reading the script when Mrs. Guyana appeared and began shouting at her daughter and assaulting her. He said that Mrs. Guyana could be heard, could be hard on her daughter, and that he had, on more than one occasion, seen her exhibit violent tendencies toward Ms. Guyana. She stated that the argument could only have lasted a few minutes before he and Mr. Sampson pulled Mrs. Guyana away from her daughter and that Mr. Sampson removed Mrs. Guyana from the building. He stated that Mr. Erickson then ended rehearsal a few minutes early due to the disruption. After this, Mr. Roland departed for an event across town. He said that when he left around 5.30, he observed that Mrs. Guyana was still outside the theater, banging on the door and demanding to be let back inside. He stated confidently that he believed her to be intoxicated. He left by way of a side exit to avoid meeting her and arrived at his event promptly at 6 p.m. Interesting. Hector and Evelyn both had like 6 p.m. engagements. How convenient. Mr. Joseph Sampson, 36 of Manhattan, confirmed that Mrs. Guyana interrupted rehearsal at 5.13 p.m. Oh, he's a stage manager. Of course he knows the exact time. Quote, making a hell of a scene and damn near killing Viola right in front of us all. End quote. He was confident of the pre- precise time because, quote, I made note of it. It's my job to pay attention to the details nobody else cares to notice. End quote. See? He stated that before Mrs. Guyana had the chance to hit her daughter with her cane, he took the cane away from her with the help of Mr. Rowland, then threw her out onto the street. He then decided to purchase flowers for Ms. Guyana in order to improve her low spirits. Mr. Erickson recommended to him a florist shop of which Ms. Guyana was fond. Mr. Sampson claimed he left, quote, no more than 10 minutes, end quote, after the fight, and the trip took him longer than he anticipated, slightly over... 
an hour in total, due in part to a misunderstanding regarding his order. When he returned just before 6.30 p.m., he found that the others had already departed and he was, as far as he could tell, the only person in the building. He stated repeatedly that Ms. Gaina's dressing room was empty and that her personal effects, including her costume trunk in which she usually kept her theatrical supplies, was gone. He remarked on the absence of the trunk because, quote, there was no reason for her to take it unless she was planning to leave for a long time, end quote. Ooh, mamma mia, papa pia. Alrighty then. I believe this is the last one. This is Mr. Ira Adler, 29, of Manhattan. Confirmed that he was present in the theater on the night of November 6th, but stated that he did not witness the altercation between Mrs. Guyana and her daughter. He said that Mr. Erickson's wife showed up wanting to talk to her husband a while before 5 p.m. And Mr. Erickson called for a brief recess. While the group was on break, Mr. Adler went into Mr. Erickson's office to make a telephone call. He claims he was on the line with a clerk at the Excelsior Hotel for over an hour as they had, quote, bungled my dinner reservation and refused to make it right. Oh. He stated he was on the phone from just before 5 p.m. to nearly 6.15 p.m. That's a really long time to be on the phone. (laughs) Jesus. Although he added that it, quote, damn well felt like a lifetime. He said it when asked why, as the director of the production, he did not return to rehearsal for over an hour. He said, quote, I was about to let some fool's clerical error ruin my future happiness. Besides, I thought they could handle themselves without me for a moment. I had no idea it would take so long. End quote. He added that he was not aware Mrs. Guyana had attacked her daughter on stage until someone from the cast informed him of the incident later that evening. But he did note that a few minutes before 6 p.m., he heard some sort of scuffle or row from one of the dressing rooms, and that shortly afterward, he heard the service elevator running, which he said he recalled because it is quite loud and is not ordinarily operated during rehearsal. He stated that he left the theater promptly after getting off the phone since I was already late for my own reservations thanks to their incompetence. Okay, further interviews will be necessary. Mrs. Ruth Erickson, 39, of Manhattan, was not available for comment. All persons of interest excepting Mrs. Erickson have agreed to make themselves available for further questioning if necessary. Okay. A search of Mrs. Guyana's dressing room confirmed Mr. Sampson's claim that Ms. Guyana's trunk was gone. Examination of the dressing room did not discover any personal effects belonging to Ms. Guyana, purse, coat, etc. Signed, Detective Shannon. Uh, Oh, there is a conclusion here. Okay. Having reviewed the evidence in this case at great length, it is the conclusion of this office that Ms. Ms. Victoria Guyana, 23 of Manhattan, alias Viola Vane, should no longer be considered a missing person. A few final details support the conclusion. Having conducted, a further, having conducted further interviews with persons of interest, it seems evident that Ms. Guyana was suffering from long-standing emotional distress. Her dissatisfaction with her career and anxiety about her fame were exacerbated by the altercation with her mother that occurred that evening. It is clear she left to get away from an unhappy family environment. This appears to be consistent with Ms. Guyana's prior history, particularly her recent four-month absence, suggesting her present so-called disappearance represents a pattern of behavior not an unusual occurrence. 
Despite her disturbed state of mind, in the evening of November 6th, it does not seem likely that Ms. Gaina intended to harm herself. And most likely, a death by suicide or accident, had it occurred, would have been discovered by this time. Okay? No unidentified remains matching Ms. Guyana's description have been recovered. No signs of foul play were evident either at the Cadence Theater or elsewhere. Therefore, it is the conclusion of this office that Ms. Guyana left of her own free will, which as an adult, she is well within her rights to do. This case is considered closed. Wow. This detective did very little due diligence. Wow. So basically, he's, he basically said that she has prior, prior uh, distressful behavior history and that, um, you know, while her stuff was gone, that's because she took it. She took her stuff and she's missing because she wants to be missing. And that's uh, as simple as that. Goodbye. Which is horrible. Just horrible. Alrighty. So let's look at what else we have here. We also have a letter from Hector Rowland. This was to, this was August 17th, 1933. So this was about a year, month or so, a couple months uh, prior to uh, Viola's disappearance. Okay. Mrs. Gaina. So this is to his uh, presumed, her future, his future uh, mother-in-law. My apologies for canceling our meeting on such short notice. It's been more than a bit over, I've been more than a bit overtaxed lately and I completely forgot about a prior engagement on Christopher Street when I agreed to discuss wedding invitations with you this afternoon. I hope the assortment of fresh fruits and chocolates delivered by my driver along with this note will convey the depth of my remorse. I really am looking forward to taking up the role of your dutiful son-in-law. I'm nothing if not a talented performer, and I intend to play the part to perfection just as soon as a union between Viola and myself is made official next year. Ugh, vomit. Now that the date is set in stone, I'd like to thank you for all the work you put into bringing Viola and I together. With both of our hectic schedules to account for, it's a true miracle you were able to arrange all of those candlelit dinners, long walks down Fifth Avenue, and rambling courts, uh, countryside drives. Not to mention all of the effort you've already begun to put into planning the wedding itself. Who knew that one could order silver bells to be affixed to Dove's feet like that? <laughs> that effect when they fly up into the rafters as we kiss is going to be breathtaking. My publicity team looks downright lazy in comparison to you. All they've ever had to do was tell the press where to point their cameras. Speaking of news hawks, I hope you're finding yourself as gratified by the glowing press coverage as I've been. It's been tiring to say the least to be constantly referred to as the Broadway Bachelor in the papers, as though my private life is more worthy of note than my career. What a relief it will be once once I've settled down. There's no more delightful a girl to settle down with than your daughter. An admirable scene partner who I'm sure will be equally as pleasant a partner in life. Ah. Uh... If 
Fiola and I are able to keep the press's interest in our next production too, we stand a real chance of becoming the next Pickford and Fairbanks, with fewer public scandals, of course. Just imagine, Viola and I cast opposite one another on stage and screen through the decades. Our names up in light, one right next to the other. It's everything I've ever wanted in a career. I'm sure she feels the same. Cordially, Hector Rowland. Wow. What a sentimental guy. Oh, you've got to love him. So sweet. So thoughtful. Okay. I just need to look up something really quickly because... While we figure out this mess, here's a short message from our sponsor. Let me see. I just need to make sure because we have a lot of paperwork for this game and I don't want to read the wrong letter. was from the previous box. I'm sorry. I'll read another one from Mr. Hector Rowland. This one is important. This one was list uh, this one was from December 25th, 1934. So this was uh, the Christmas after her disappearance and was technically like a month and a half from the time of her disappearance. Okay. It says, Ira, how are you and Evelyn holding up? I wish we'd had more time to speak during the cast party, but George kept the two of you cornered for practically the entire evening. I wanted to say that you can leave it right here truly did deserve better. The two of you were fantastic. So was I for that matter. <laughs> uh, sometimes these things just happen without any rhyme or reason. And I'll always maintain that seeing your show fail spectacularly is a, is a rite of passage in this business. Honestly, I was happy to be relieved of my responsibilities to you. You could leave it right. You could leave it a few months early. It was the perfect excuse to take a trip to the country house. I'm still, I'm still having a hard time coping with everything you see. And I was hoping the Connecticut air would clear my head. I was so tired of scanning every open doorway and grimy side street in the city for Viola. But as it turns out, I've started casting furtive glances at the tree line here instead. Where could she be? Why would she run off without telling any of us where she was going? Viola is one of the few people who ever got to know the real me. I thought we were going to be companions through all of life's trials and joys. Deep down, I'm still hoping that this has been a terrible misunderstanding. The press are still calling at all hours and sending all manner of offensive queries to my team, of course. Most to ask for my statement, just some, to, some just to assert their thinly veiled accusations of foul play, as though the investigation hasn't already been closed. 
I do understand how I must look, the humiliated former fiancé of the vanished Viola Vane. But it's downright insulting how little credence anyone but my closest friends are willing to give me in all of this. Wherever Viola is, I hope she's got enough money on hand to cover a warm meal and a payphone. One call and I'd drop everything to bring her home. She belongs at the cadence with the people who care about her. I know you feel the same. Even if things had gotten a bit strange between the two of you toward the end of duo, let me know if there is any new developments. Happy holidays, Hector. And then it says P.S. And it has like a bunch of numbers: seventeen, ten, three, six, twelve, four, twenty-three, nine. Blah 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 blah. So this letter clearly has some coding. Uh, okay. So, I'm about to read the article from the Stage Whisper. Uh, Nothing strange in her success. Understudy shines in spotlight by Kitty Parker. Uh, There's two articles here. Okay, but let me read this one first. All right. It should come as no surprise to those who know that this season's hit, The Strange Duo, has been the topic of constant conversation in Manhattan theater circles. From the irresistible romance of its two leads to its universal universal critical acclaim, Simone Nielsen's comic saga of star-crossed love has been the talk of the town since its debut last September. When it was announced last month that the show's leading lady, Ms. Viola Vane, would be leaving the cast, fans and critics alike expressed concern that her absence would be a loss from which the production could not possibly recover. As Roderick Bentley put it in his column the week her departure was announced, quote, One feels sinkingly certain that the strange duo, despite its obvious merits, will not survive without Ms. Vane's wit and charm to give it life. End quote. However, to the delight of theater aficionados everywhere, Ms. Vane's replacement has proven herself more than capable, winning rave reviews for her star turn. Who is this rising star bold enough to attempt to take Viola Vane's place? Evelyn Kittredge may not yet be to be a household name, but she will certainly be before long. We predict that duo will do for Ms. Kittredge's career what Girl Crazy did a few years ago for one Ginger Rogers. There's, there are certainly great things in store for Ms. Kittredge, who has gone from Ms. Vane's understudy to a star in her own right. One might expect an actress in Ms. Kittredge's position to simply retread the steps of her predecessor, but reviewers have remarked upon the refreshing vivacity this young thespian has brought to the part of Florilinda. The naive young flower seller turned high society dame. In the words of the Gazette's drama critic Avery Martindale, her performance is, quote, full of fire and music, a revelatory interpretation of an already iconic role, end quote. Ms. Kittredge is self-effacing in the subject of her recent success, quote, Every night, I think, I can't possibly live up to her performance. 
she demurs when she when asked how she has managed to fill Miss Vane's shoes. I expect I shall always be standing in her shadow, and rightly so. Others, however, are not so restrained in their estimation. The show's director, Ira Adler, shares none of his new star's modesty. Evelyn has extraordinary talent, he effuses. Don't get me wrong. Viola deserves every bit of praise she received, but mark my words, Evelyn Kittredge is the one to watch. When asked what we can expect to see Miss Kittredge in next, Mr. Adler was overflowing with enthusiasm for future collaboration. I've got an ambition to write something for her myself, he admits. A musical, maybe. I've always fancied myself a bit of a songwriter, and she has the sweetest voice you've ever heard. Sweet is certainly the word for this accomplished pair, whose mutual admiration and delight in one another's company is evident. They will surely make a name for themselves in whatever future ventures they undertake together, professional or otherwise. Wink, wink. I added the winks. There's no winks. For now, however, Ms. Kittredge's growing crowd of admirers will have to content themselves with seeing her on stage in The Strange Duo, which will continue its engagement at the Cadence Theater through the end of October. Wow. Looks like Evelyn Kittredge. Hmm. Evelyn Kittredge uh, has certainly made a name for herself. Um, and on the back, there's like another article and it's called, How is Broadway to Contend with Hollywood? What Future for a Floundering Industry by Maud Gamble? I don't know if this is relevant to the, to the game, but uh, let me start reading it. There is no denying that the lights of the 42nd, of 42nd Street have dimmed somewhat of late. Despite their glitz and glamour, the denizens of the Great White Way are just as susceptible to economic hardship as the rest of this great nation. Sadly, that it happens to be the case right this moment in real life. And like millions of other industries across the country, Broadway is struggling. As audiences have doubtless have doubtless noticed, countless stage theaters and vaudeville music halls have closed across the city in recent years. Those venues that remain open have been forced to reduce ticket prices significantly, some charging as little as 25 cents for admission. Whether they are established stars or chorus girls, stage managers, or scenic designers, workers all across the industry have felt the strain of these difficult times. Many have made admirable efforts to assist those most affected through the charitable endeavors. Noted playwright Rachel Crothers has done much to lift up the destitute performers through her stage relief fund and other initiatives. The actress Serena Royal began her Actors Dinner Club to offer free meals and employment for out-of-work actors. Even so, these generous efforts alone will not be sufficient to stem the flow of talent from the theater industry. The arrival of sound in moving pictures now means there is little film cannot accomplish that the, sca- that the stage can at least in the opinion of some commentators. And its novelty has made talking pictures as enticing and artistic challenge for many performers as it is an intriguing experience for audiences. Furthermore, with the promise of steady movie studio contract work in the West Coast, it's no wonder that so many stalwart, 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 
stage performers, has set off for California's promised land. How can Broadway compete with Hollywood when such luminaries as Fred Astaire flee the stage for the silver screen? Some, like producer and theater owner George Erickson, say the only way forward is for productions to go bigger than ever. The solution isn't handouts from rich actresses or dreary dramas about domestic issues, he insisted. The public wants fantasy, something that will take their minds off their troubles for a little while. If Broadway wants to survive, we've got to compete with the pictures, and that means rallying all the glamour and spectacle we can muster. Others, like avant-garde playwright Conrad Werner, argued that the Broadway that the Broadway that Broadway must distinguish itself from pictures by facing head-on the problems of the nation. We have a responsibility as artists to tell stories that address the common man's struggle, he said. The pictures will never take real issues seriously, but the stage can and indeed must. Though the, though there may be a difference of opinion regarding the ideal approach, there can be no doubt that many in the business are dedicated to ensuring the future of the Broadway stage. Whatever form that may ultimately take, there are plenty of talented performers and even more devoted theater fans who look eagerly forward to the day when Broadway's lights shine their brightest once more. I do think that is an important article because George Erickson was in the article and George Erickson is what the producer of this theater space um, during this time. So for him to say that we need to go bigger is a little concerning, okay? Just wanted to say. Now the last two pieces here before we start playing with ciphers and stuff, um, the last two pieces here, there's like a handwritten looking ledger. Uh, so for those who don't know what a ledger is, it's like, um, it's a list of purchased items, um, you know, usually used for budgeting purposes, taxes, that kind of thing. Um, and so basically this was a ledger that was written by the owners of the, of the theater regarding, um, whatever purchases they made that year. So it lists all the dates like October 5th through... November 30th. So this is like a, a little over two months worth of purchasing. Um, and then there's like a section. So it has a section that tells you what the purchased items were. But in the description, some things just say what they were. Um, like incoming, like it's like, like the in and outs of money. Like things that were paid for and things that were gained. Like payment that was earned and payment that went out. Um, and there's like time signatures in here too. So, um, if you aren't in music and, uh, and I'm not anymore, but time signatures are usually in, um, ways in which musicians read music and can, uh, tells them what tempo the music is in, um, or how to read the notes, um, like how many beats are in each measure and stuff like that. So it's a way in which you read music. Um, so there's like time signatures kind of thrown out here and there under some of these descriptions, which is really odd. Um, and then there's a section here for notes where they have time signatures and it says like words that aren't spelled right. Like everything's going to be it says every X things going to be scad. Noah that your coke ink 
back. So I assume this is also a cipher. So, music from plays on record, sell them at the door, ask Ira. That's another note in here, um, but that's kind of scattered throughout. And then last but not least is this other note that I know is in code and is handwritten from November 24th, 1933. So this is a year before, this is a year before, we don't know who wrote it. Um, it's uh, a year before the event. We don't know who wrote it because there's like, like kind of like in the ledger, there's some um, words that aren't real words. There's just letters. Um, so I'm going to, I, I can try reading this, but it just wouldn't be the same. It would say like, I'm taking precaution, like it says, was your I'm talk, I'm taking precautions in case Negroni finds this letter, which is why a few phrases might seem a little backwards to you. If you find yourself at a loss, look to the gift I embroidered you for guidance. When vanity becomes elegance, the truth can emerge. The walls and the cadence tend to have ears, so I don't feel secure asking you this in person. But I was wondering if has said anything to you about me lately. She pulled me aside earlier today and told me in no uncertain terms that she wished I had blank, blank, blanked, blank, blank. I had blank, 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 blank. I asked her what she meant. That's a good question. But she just said that I should be ashamed of myself and stormed away. I genuinely have no idea what any of that was about. Have I done something to offend her? Is it the stress of her pregnancy making itself manifest? This is the worst possible time for me to have made an enemy. It's simply too much. With the show, the press, and the wedding to contend with, I barely have any time to breathe. I can count on one hand the number of times I've felt neither hungry nor tired nor miserable over the past four months and during blank 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 there's no sign of any real experience in the horizon uh, reprieve there's really no sign of any real reprieve in the horizon though negroni no it's gonna be, i'm just gonna blank Blank has my life planned down to the matching outfits I'm wearing with blank to our hypothetical blank, blank, blank in 38. It's a selfish thing to complain about, I know, but I can't stop thinking about what you said the other day about being able to step back and see the big picture. It made me realize that I've spent my entire life like a carriage horse fitted with blinders. I've never seen anything but the path I'm being driven down. I can't go on like this forever. I uh, blank, 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 blank. Thank you for being such a good confidant <laughs> over these past few months. You've made me realize how good it can feel to blank, 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 every now and. I've asked blank to go over blank blank with blank at six o'clock tomorrow. We can blank 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 
blank, 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 blank. Okay. So, I mean, I think the context of the letter tells us that she pro- it's probably Viola who wrote it because um, it just does seem like it was Viola who wrote it. Uh, okay. And uh, so she talks about the gift. The gift is this embroidered, this has to be this embroidered uh, thing where, uh, like I mentioned, it has um, these flowers on it and it has an E embroidered on it and a V on the other. So I presume when she says in the letter, when vanity becomes elegance, the truth can emerge. So I feel like this is like a counting situation. We need to count letters and stuff. Um, But before I get into all of that, I am going to open up the website so I can look in the folder because I haven't even done that. Can you believe it? It's been... (laughs) Well, what an episode, right? It's really weird to play this again because some things are are coming back to me, but like not at the same time. I'm I'm just trying to keep it all together. I mean, aren't we all? It's just, uh, it's just really, like, I, I, (laughs) oh, geez, but, um, but I'm just, I'm just very happy to, I'm just very happy to be here. Um, okay, let me see, I think, I think it was already saved, cool, so I'm gonna open up this. to go into the uh, letter from Julia Adler because she um, is leading us to the uh, folder. Um, There is a cipher guide, which is nice. Oh, okay. So we do see like the slashes style of cipher in here. Uh, 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 uh. Alright, I'm gonna leave the cipher guide for now because I want to open up folders. opening up old folders in here. And how like Ruth is such a bitch. Like, right? She is though. Like, don't even pretend. Don't even play.
Oh, because, ah, I should have opened with the other password, which is now... Okay, so there's a transcript of the ledger because, like, hello. Um, there's a transcript of the letter I just read that um, I was surprised I even was able to read if I am honest. Uh, and a transcript of the delivery slip that I read at the beginning of the episode about the, like, box delivery. Uh, what else is in here? There's the florist receipt. Okay, so here's another article. This is another piece. This is the roses. Let's see. November 6, 1934. So that was the day of the thing. Once in a floral flower shop. What a great name for a flower shop. Once in floral. So cute. Uh, so... On this florist receipt, it looks like an old, like an old timey time receipt, uh, scanned. It was, uh, it says that it was a pickup order for one dozen dog roses. Uh, the price is scratched out, but it says a dollar oh seven, discounted to fifty four cents. Um, mix up, and then it has a note here saying, "Sorry about the wait, pal, but glad we ended up having what you needed." And it was good catching up. Next one's on the house. Just show this to Audrey if I ain't in Frank. Okay, so this is probably, these are the flowers that Joe in, in the police report and in other, um, I think it was in the police report by several accounts. He went to go pick up flowers to make uh, Viola feel a little better, um, which is super sweet of him. And then there's something here called the board letter. Oh, this is a letter from the board. Okay, this is a letter from the board. Um, the Cadence Theater. Uh, doesn't have a date, but I imagine... I imagine that this is the letter that Julia Adler was talking about, that the board is upset with her performance. So let's read what it says. Dear Ms. Adler, on several occasions, we have expressed concern over your inability to properly manage the Cadence's administration, finances, and overall reputation. The bad press we've received over the past month has only deepened this concern. Countless news outlets have capitalized on the sensational nature of your discovery in the theater, and it appears someone leaked confidential records concerning the police investigation. As a result, the Cadence's image has suffered irreparable damage. Therefore, we have voted to protect the board's best interests and will be taking offers for the sale of the Cadence Theater effective immediately. We will, continue, we will consider any and all monetary offers during the allotted bidding period. At the end of this time, we will appoint full ownership of the theater to the highest bidder. There will be no preference given to individuals with familial ties and or industry connections. After the theater is sold, the owner will be free to decide its future. 
If you wish to retain ownership of the theater, you must provide a competitive offer. We will be sure to update you regarding all incoming offers to keep you informed of the bidding status. Please know that this process, while difficult, will ensure a positive outcome. Signed, Lloyd Andrews, the president of the board. Well, Lloyd. Jeez. All right. So where should we begin? Oh, there's a show tunes playlist, like a Spotify show tunes playlist. I love this. They do so much. Like they have a playlist so that you can like get in the mood while you're playing. I can't play them because they are copywritten. Uh, but they're all like these are all covers, which is really sweet. Like they're all covers of songs. Um, Clearly, I don't feel like doing the ciphers, but we're gonna do them, ladies and gentlemen. We will. We will. We will. Uh, ooh, honeybees. Okay. Why don't we? Okay, so let's start with the one on the delivery slip. So on the delivery note, there is a bunch of. Um, stage directions it seems it's stage directions um because there's like the 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 nine box square on top and i know that in the little notebook that they gave us in the first episode um it actually gives you an explanation of all of these different um stage directions like how to read um, and understand stage direction which is super cool um so, but in the squares, there's the nine squares. Um, in the top right, which would be in this case, would be upstage left. Inside the box has the letters M N O. Okay. So the expectation here is you have to fill in the other boxes with the rest of the alphabet. And so this is the cipher. Um, which is similar to what we saw in the prior season for the um, the summit case, the, the Alaskan summit case. So I'm gonna fill in these boxes here. So P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, F. Um, there's a lot here, so I'm just gonna, you're gonna just like, it's gonna just go and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna know what it says. So just, uh, wait a second. Okay. All right, so that's done. Um, so we've deciphered the clues and the clues say, let me know if you need help hiding this from him. Now, because of the because these are stage directions, I'm gonna presume this is from Samson. Um, yeah, I'm gonna presume this is from Samson. But it says, "Let me know if you need help hiding this from him." What do you mean? What are we hiding? Who's hiding stuff? Like what happened? Why aren't we being honest? 
let's move on to the ledger because that one's so intimidating. Um, and look at the notes here. Um, this is the one with the time signatures. So I'm gonna open up the cipher guide in the in the website to see if it can give me an idea of what what these ciphers are supposed to mean. Um, I know that it, Julia's letter did say some stuff about some like really iffy um, note keeping, like a ledger, like like there was a lot of weird bookkeeping stuff going on at this during this period, um, and I guess this is what she was talking about. Um, when we cipher everything out and we see what it says, it says stuff like everything's going to be okay now that you're coming back um it says get back in touch about loans there's some information here about gifts like 30 dollars gifts um a, a 30 percent interest on a loan um that was paid out in the price of fifteen hundred dollars uh, more gifts, $50 this time. Um, there's $20 that was given to Olga, which was um, Viola's mom. Uh, send Cole another thank you, even though it wasn't that good. Okay. Christmas season keeping everyone away. Pet uh, Pelfi's cover for Olga. Buyers, Ira. Mm, I guess the theater was starting to suffer. But this was, I, it, but the only thing it doesn't tell us is the year. It just says October through November 30th. So it's hard to say. Like, okay, like November 6th. The November 6th here only says the union payments. So I don't even know if this was like the same year. November 24th? No, see, November 24th isn't even here. So they were, like, going through some financial troubles over at this theater, even back then, it seems. That's scary. And now we have to look at this, <clears throat> this letter.
So I've, I'm decoding this letter, um, the letter, the handwritten letter. That was all blank, 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 blank. Okay. So now it's gonna, so here we're gonna fix it. It says, now it says, darling. I'm taking precautions in case mother finds this letter, which is why a few phrases may seem a bit backwards. If you take your, if you find yourself at a loss, look at the gift I embroidered for you for guidance. When vanity becomes elegance, the truth can emerge. So yes, it has to do with the flowers on the, on this, uh, on the embroidery here, counting back all the, the, um, flowers to get a number and then the number to reverse the, uh, the alphabet. It's, God, this game. The walls at the Cadence tend to have ears, so I don't feel secure asking you this in person, but I was wondering if Ruth has said anything to you about me lately. She pulled me aside earlier today and told me in no uncertain terms that she wished that I had never been cast in duo. Wow. I asked her what she meant. But she just said that I should be ashamed of myself and stormed away. I genuinely have no idea what I did to her, what, what any of that ha what any of that was about. Have I done something to offend her? Is that the stress? Is the, is, the, is it the stress of her pregnancy making itself manifest? This is the worst possible time for me to have made an enemy. It's simply too much. With the show, the press, and the wedding to contend with, I barely have any time to breathe. I can count on one hand how many times I've felt neither hungry nor tired nor miserable over the past few months. And during... Every, let me see, what is it? And during, and even during every single one of them, I've been with you. There's no sign of any real reprieve on the horizon, though mother has my life planned down to the matching outfits I'm wearing with Hector to our hypothetical, uh, hypothetical premieres in 38. Film premieres, our hypothetical film premieres in 38. It's a selfish thing to complain about, I know, but I can't stop thinking about what you said the other day about being able to step back and see the big picture. It made me realize that I've spent my entire life like a carriage fitted with blinders. I've never seen anything but the path I've been driven down. I can't go on like this forever. I need to get out of this city, but my contract and my engagement make that impossible. Thank you for being such a good confidant over the past few months. You made me realize how good it could feel to make a choice of my own every now and then. I've asked what was that? To go over reception plans. I've asked I've asked Hector to go over reception plans with mother at six o'clock. We can meet in my dressing room while they're busy. See you soon. episode is to eliminate a, sub a suspect based on 
what we know so far. I think I know who to eliminate. I'm going to suggest that suggest it <laughs> to the email I just need to find what my instructions were again okay so I'm gonna send an email let's see See what you mean. Taking the time and the note on the receipt into account, we can safely conclude that Blank could not have been at the theater during the time of the murder. I have to admit, I'm glad it wasn't Blank's doing. I never got to meet them, but my dad always spoke fondly of them. So thank you on their behalf for clearing their name. Hopefully you're able to clear my grandparents themselves sometime soon. I can't imagine they could have been involved in a murder, but you know, some concrete proof would be pretty reassuring at this point. I'm forwarding the conclusions you've made to my friend on the force and to the board, although the police will be much happier to know that progress has been made. The theater's own shareholders would rather leave the past hidden away in the corner of an attic than actually reckon with it, but it's their responsibility to know what's happening, just like it's mine to keep pushing for answers. You've done great work, one suspect down, six to go, break a leg, Julia. Wow, what a time. This was an interesting episode to revisit because, um, because it's a really, it is, it's, it's, it, this one's so cypher heavy. It's so cluey heavy. And I love that. I love playing this game. I love playing it with other people. Uh, and, and Lisette really enjoys playing this game as well. And I hope that you guys do too. I hope that this has been fun for you to listen to and that you'll stick around for the next box, um, which is going to come very soon. Uh, but yeah, that is the conclusion of box two for for curtain call. Um, I hope that you're all doing okay. I hope that um, you're all trying to stay well during these times um, and that you're staying healthy. I hope that the people around you are healthy, that, um, that, you know, that if you are going back to work or school, that you're taking all the precautions necessary. I hope that you're taking it seriously. You know, please, please wear a mask, guys. Wash your hands. Don't don't hang out with other people unless you really have to and uh, drink lots of water and um, eat your vegetables or you know whatever meditate do stuff because it's a this is a really weird time but I hope that you've been able to enjoy a little bit of escape with me 
because I certainly enjoyed my little bit of escape with you. We'll be back next week with another episode from our Dungeons and Dragons series. Uh, and, uh, and I believe in a couple weeks we'll have another box for you from this series. We'll check. I'll, I'll check the schedule. But it is coming very soon. We love you very much. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye! listening to the baby lambs podcast artwork created by janabelle art you can follow her on instagram at janabelle art or you can follow her studio at studio nami tattoo music created by daniel lacosta and produced by sunset studios miami you can follow them on their instagram at sunset studios miami and you can follow us on instagram via our handle at baby lambs podcast you can also find us on twitter at Baby Lambs PCAST or Baby Lambs Podcast. You can find us now on iTunes and Google Play yeah. and even on CastBox, which is actually a really cool app. Also by finding us via our handle, Baby Lambs Podcast, or by visiting our website at babylambspodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.